following teaching is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church in Burbank, California. We trust that this recording will be a benefit to you and will be a challenge to your Christian faith and walk. For more information about Calvary Bible Church, see our website at calvarybiblechurch.org or call us at 818-556-4840. The title of this morning's message is The God-Dependent Church. The God-Dependent Church and If you have a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And if you're able to stand, please stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to be reading verses 10 through 20 this morning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You may have a seat. Amen to the reading of his word. Paul was a man who greatly delighted in God. And he spends three glorious chapters here in Ephesians, the first three chapters, praising God Almighty, reminding the Ephesian believers that God has set forth this plan whereby he glorified himself in the salvation of sinners in and through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells them in chapters 1 through through 3 that they have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in, in Christ for the glory of God. That God has shown His amazing power, first of all, in raising His Son from physical death, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then showed His amazing power by raising us up from spiritual death. He talks about the fact that in Christ, God has created this beautiful new living organism called the church. And we are part of that church because of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul sums up the first three chapters of Ephesians full of emotion and praise. He concludes in chapter 3, verse 20, with this, Now to him that is God, who is able to do, and he praises here. Listen to how he starts piling on words, talking about the work of God here. To him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Everything that God has accomplished from before the foundation of the world, he receives all of the glory for his amazing plan, beloved. And then in chapters 4 through 6, Paul focuses on the way that believers should live in light of what God has done. And he uses his metaphor, walk, five different times in chapters 4 through 6 to talk about the fact that believers are to live in a certain way in the light of God's amazing, glorious plan. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, he talks about the fact that believers are to walk or conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. In chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, he talks about the fact that believers are no longer to walk like the world. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, believers are to walk in love and imitation of the Father. In chapter 5, verses 7 through 14, believers are to walk in light or in holiness set apart from the dark world in which they live. In chapter 5, verse 15, all the way to chapter 6 and verse 9, believers are, are instructed to walk carefully with wisdom in the light of the great calling that they have. And this wisdom will show itself in their marriages, in their family, in their work environments, etc., etc. 
Paul is very clear that believers are to walk or to conduct themselves quite differently in the light of God's great salvation. And yet, if you have lived the Christian life long enough, you know it is not always very easy to live for the glory of God. Amen? It is tough. As glorious as the salvation of God is, and as clear as the instructions to live worthy of the gospel given to us here in Ephesians, Paul wants to make clear at the end of the book of Ephesians that the Christian life lived for the glory of God is not going to be easy. It's going to be a fight. In fact, he describes it as a spiritual war. Yes, Christ has delivered a death blow to Satan and his evil forces, so that victory is sure. However, we still await the culmination of our king's final blow, right? When he comes and he delivers that final blow and we will see him, we will be just like he is. But the reality is, beloved, that as we await for our king's return, the Christian life here on this earth is going to be difficult and we are going to constantly experience opposition. And Paul talks about this opposition in chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. He describes it in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So Paul says, in this lifetime, as a Christian, you are going to experience continual, constant, face-to-face combat and battle. That is what we are to expect. This is why... In the midst of the enemy's onslaught, he tells us, you need to be dependent upon God. You must depend upon Him. So in verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. In verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God. And then in verses 13 through 17, he outlines the spiritual armor that we are to take up and put on. You see, beloved, listen, far from defeat... And lives lived defeated. Paul wants believers to know that they can experience Christ's victory in the midst of the spiritual war that we face. Amen? Four different times in this passage, in one form or another, he says that we are able to stand firm. We are able to resist. Stand firm, therefore, he says. We are able to stand. We don't need to live defeated lives on this earth. Christ has accomplished victory, beloved, and we can experience this victory in the Christian life. Paul knows this. And yet, I think that the reason why he ends here in chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, talking about the need to rely and depend upon God, is because the greatest obstacle, beloved, in the Christian life and for our church is self-dependence. Self-sufficiency. That somehow we can reason very proudly that we don't need God, actively or passively. And this passage warns against self-sufficiency, against self-dependency. Paul's message is this. If you are going to stand firm in the Christian life, you must rely upon God and His resources, of which the foremost resource is prayer, personally and corporately. Because remember, this letter was written to a church, right? Not just to individuals, but to a congregation, So it's a warning to us that we must be dependent upon our almighty heavenly father. Beloved, listen, prayer, personal and corporate is crucial to the life of Calvary Bible Church. It is crucial to our survival. I read the account once of a World War I military leader who who earnestly instructed his soldiers before the war broke out, before their battle, concerning what they were about to experience on the battlefield. Of World War One, And upon hearing of the horrifying impending dangers, the soldiers pleaded with the military leader, and they said, then how is it possible in the midst of this, of this chaos and destructiveness to stay alive? How might we stay alive? To which the military leader, full of emotion and concern for his men, said, men, stay low to the ground on your hands, on your elbows, and on your knees, and you will stay alive. And beloved, I would submit to us that that is the way to stay alive and stand firm in the Christian life. 
Staying low to the ground. We cannot expect to survive the flaming missiles of the evil one, beloved, unless we are spending much time in dependence upon the Lord in prayer. Amen? We must, as individuals and corporately, be seeking the face of God. Be seeking His face. You see, many times we can approach the Christian life so haphazardly. As if the Christian life was like a field of flowers or daisies. But Paul would remind us in this, in this passage that far from a field of flowers and daisies, the Christian life, beloved, is a war zone. It's a battle. It's spiritual war that we face, see? With a terrible, destructive enemy. And yet we, ha- we can have confidence that if we depend upon the Lord and live not self-sufficiently, but depending upon Him in prayer, we can stand. Amen? We can stand. So this morning, I want to motivate us and encourage us to be a God-dependent praying church. And I see four marks here in verses 18 through 20. That's where we're going to be focusing. Four marks of a God-dependent praying church in this text. Four marks of a God-dependent church. We want to be a church that is a lighthouse in this community. Amen? Earlier, Pastor Carnes talked about the impact that we can have here in Burbank even through the Jerusalem outreach. We want to be a lighthouse in this community. We want to be positioned to make a huge impact, beloved, in Burbank, in Southern California, in this country, and around the world. We want to be positioned to do that. Well, it's not going to happen if we are self-dependent. We must be a God-dependent church. And we learn in this text, first and foremost, Mark number one, the God-dependent church is serious about prayer. The God-dependent church is serious about prayer. Look at verse 18. With or through all prayer and petition, Paul begins verse 18. It should go without saying that prayer is not a secondary matter in the church or to any believer or to the church of God. But in our attitude many times, I'm sure you would agree, and in our actions, we send a very different message, do we not? We send the message that prayer is peripheral, that prayer is secondary. Well, Paul does not view prayer as secondary. In fact, he views it as so critical and so serious that he emphasizes the indispensable nature, the need for prayer in the context of spiritual war beginning in verse 18. As I mentioned four times in this passage, we are comforted by the fact that we can stand firm, we can resist, but then we're given the pieces of armor in verses 14 and following which expand upon how we might be able to stand firm in the spiritual war. In other words, how do we stand firm in spiritual warfare, Paul? Verse 14, by having girded our loins with truth. How do we stand firm in spiritual warfare, Paul? Verse 14, by having put on the breastplate of righteousness. How do we stand firm in spiritual warfare, Paul? Verse 15, by having prepared our feet with the gospel of peace. Verse 16, taking up the shield of faith. Verse 17, taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. See? God has provided all that we need, beloved, to stand firm. But don't stop there, as many people and many preachers many times do. He says, notice, how do we appropriate all of the pieces of spiritual armor? Where does the energy come from to be able to depend and rely upon the Lord? It comes from God in prayer. See? Verse 18, with or literally through all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, he says. Prayer here is not the seventh piece of armor, beloved. Rather, God's spiritual resources, listen, God's spiritual resources for helping believers and the church of God to stand firm and in every circumstance is to be appropriated and practiced through prayer in a spirit of humble dependence before Almighty God. That is with utter dependence upon Him in every moment Prayer is to be taken seriously because without it, we cannot appropriate the armor of God, beloved. If we're arrogant, then we are rejecting the armor of God. We must practice those and put on that armor of God in a spirit of dependence upon Him. And Paul further highlights the seriousness of prayer here by emphasizing the various ways that we can approach God in spiritual warfare. I think we we complicate prayer so much. Don't you agree? We really do complicated so much. And I love what he does here in verse 18. Paul uses two different words. He says, through all prayer and implied all petition for approaching God. 
Prayer is the more general word for approaching God, while petition indicates more specific requests. Both of these words appear in Philippians 4, verse 6, where Paul says to the Philippians, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. There's the first word he uses in Ephesians 6.18. And supplication, translated petition in Ephesians 6.18. Let your request be made known unto God. And together, these words highlight the variety of ways that we can approach God. They emphasize the multicolored aspect or nature of prayer. There are different kinds of prayer that we might use to come before the presence of our Almighty God. And I can't think of a greater example of the beautiful, multicolored kinds and varieties of prayers than what our Lord gave us in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer. Our Lord Jesus taught His disciples the pattern of prayer to use variety in their prayers. Just listen to this. In Matthew chapter 6, He teaches them to, to utter Prayers of praise. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Prayer of praise. Prayers of petition for his purposes to be fulfilled. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Petition for basic sustenance. Give us this day our daily bread. Prayers of confession. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. We may find requests for protection from temptation. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Prayers of adoration and worship. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thus, in glorious fashion, Jesus, our Lord Jesus, gave us the pattern and guidelines for using variety in prayer, beloved. What a great resource whereby we can commune with our Heavenly Father. Amen. You can commune with Him in, in, in a variety of, of ways. Read the Psalms. In the Psalms we find prayers of adoration and confession and thanksgiving and worship and supplication and petitioning. The psalmist requesting for protection, for courage and comfort and forgiveness and strength in the midst of trouble. Various kinds of prayer. Prayer is so beautiful and so diverse, is it not? And Jesus came and died and rose from the dead, Beloved. So that we can be forgiven of our sins and have full access to come before Almighty God and just pour out our hearts before Him in the midst of spiritual warfare. See? So beautiful. Each of these kinds of prayers are like sharp arrows that we may launch to extinguish the fiery attacks of the evil one, beloved. Use them. Prayers of praise and petition and confession and request for protection and adoration and worship for Almighty God. Use them in the midst of the spiritual warfare. See? Beloved, do we recognize as a church the serious need of the hour? Do we recognize that we are in a spiritual war? Individually and corporately. Notice that I'm saying corporately because this is, a, again, a letter directed to a church. We are in a spiritual war, beloved. We are the spiritual army of the Lord Jesus Christ. The militia, if you will. We are facing attacks. And in the midst of those attacks, Paul says, take prayer seriously. You can't stand firm in the battle as a church, Ephesians, if you do not rely upon the Lord, appropriating His resources through all prayer and petition. You cannot stand in the battle being self-dependent and self-sufficient. See? You can't do it. And I really believe that we don't spend time, enough time praying corporately as a church or in groups or together, beloved, because we underestimate our enemy. We underestimate our enemy. How subtle and a schemer and crafty and destructive he is, beloved. All you got to do is turn on the news right now and see the growing hostility all over the world. And Christians being persecuted. Do you see it? Do you see it? We are in a war. And we better be careful as American Christians that we don't close our eyes and our attention to that spiritual war because those things aren't happening to that extent here, beloved. Because there may come a day when we will experience that same level of persecution here in America and maybe then our eyes will be opened. Let's not wait till that time. Just notice the growing hostility. Turn on the news. Laws against the family infrastructure of Scripture. Laws against biblical parenting. Kicking God out of schools. 
There's less and less of a toleration towards Christianity, beloved, toward a Christian worldview. We need to be careful. We need to pay attention because, because as Peter wrote to, to, to the church at, at that day in 1 Peter chapter 5, he said, Satan prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but resist him, firming your faith, he says, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And a few verses before that, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Right? Casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Do we recognize the seriousness of the battle that we face, beloved, and so that we are driven to prayerful dependence upon the Lord? Secondly, the God-dependent church is serious about prayer. That is the mindset. But this mindset of having a serious approach to prayer must be translated into action, right? And that we should be a church who is devoted to prayer. The God-dependent church, secondly, is devoted to prayer. Look at verse 18. With or through all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the Spirit. Notice. In the midst of spiritual warfare, how often should believers be praying? At all times, he says. The idea here is at every opportunity, on every occasion. Paul puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without what? Seizing. We are to be in a continual state, beloved, of humbly seeking the face of God and communing with Him. This is, this is talking about living in a constant state, listen, of dependent devotion before Almighty God. Dependent devotion. I have loved stu- studying and teaching through the book of Acts in our fellowship group. And I've learned so many things that the Lord has taught me through the, the, the study of that book. And one of the things that has stuck out to me And that I have learned is that the early church, if they were known for two things, was their commitment to the progress of the word. And secondly, their devotion to prayer. They were a God-dependent community of believers. They were a God-dependent community of believers. In a very exciting yet scary time in the life of the early church, they sought the the face of God at all times. They would come together all the time. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascends in verses 9 through 11, and he's, he's glorified before the, the very eyes of the apostles. And in obedience to Jesus' instructions, what do the early believers do? They go into the upper room, and they are spending time there waiting for the Holy Spirit that had been promised by Jesus. And they're, 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 they're spending time together. And in chapter 1, verse 14 of Acts, it says this, These, all these believers, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves, guess what? To prayer along with the women. They were committed to corporate prayer together, depending upon the Lord. They sought the Lord for guidance in the midst of hard decisions. In chapter 1, verses 15 through 26, they are confronted with the decision concerning who is to replace Judas Iscariot, the traitor. And in verse 24, they pray. Say, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And guess what? God answers their prayer and Matthias is set forward and he becomes the twelfth. See? Midst of critical decisions for guidance, the church prayed together. Acts chapter 2, Luke summarizing in verses 42 to 47. How the early church is doing, summarizing their communal life. One of the supreme areas of the church's devotion, beloved, would you believe is what? Was prayer. Prayer. Verse 42 of chapter 2 of Acts, it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the prayers, by the way. To the prayers. This devotion of prayer was not just in the easy times, by the way. Not just in the easy times, but in the hard times. Because in Acts chapter 4, verses 24 to 31, after they have, they have experienced opposition from the religious leaders, together they come together after this opposition and they pray to God together for justice and for boldness to preach Christ. And guess what? God grants them that request and they continue to preach Christ with boldness in the midst of opposition. And then in chapter 6 of Acts, we can keep going and going in the book of Acts. But the apostles, when experiencing internal conflict because of some Hellenistic widows being overlooked in the daily serving of food, the apostles testify concerning the priority of prayer and the word. They say, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. And they set forth a plan to delegate the care 
of those widows to other faithful, godly men in the church there. And then it says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Beloved, the church, the early church was devoted to corporate prayer. In any and every circumstance, they sought the face of God. See? In crucial moments, in moments of attack, they came together, praying together, seeking the face of Almighty God together in faithful devotion. One pastor commenting on this exhortation to pray at all times writes this, quote, to obey this exhortation means that when we are tempted, we hold a temptation before God and ask for His help. When we experience something good and beautiful, we immediately thank God for it. When we see evil around us, we pray that God will make it right and be willing to be used of Him to that end. When we meet someone who does not know Christ, we pray for God to draw that person to Himself and to use us to be faithful witnesses. When we encounter trouble, we turn to God as our deliverer. In other words, listen to this. Our life becomes a continually ascending prayer, a perpetual communion with our Heavenly Father. End quote. I love that last sentence. Our life becomes a continually ascending prayer, a perpetual communion with our Heavenly Father. Beloved, this is an attitude of devotion to God, is it not? That's what this is. An awareness that He's constantly there with us. The great 17th century English pastor Stephen Charnock, if you've never read The Existence and Attributes of God, you need to do that. It is a great work. I have had the privilege of reading through it three times in the 21 years since the Lord saved me. Remarkable book. And Stephen Charnock speaks in there about being God conscious. And what he meant was that as Christians, we had to be in a state of mind where we are constantly striving to think and live in the very presence of Almighty God. That the pattern of our lives must be one in which we are constantly conscious of God's presence, see? So that we are constantly communing with Him, devoted to Him in prayer, seeking His face for everything, beloved. Cultivate a God consciousness in your life, and you will be driven to prayer, to being devoted to the Lord in prayer. But notice also what Paul says in verse 18. This devoted prayer must be in the Spirit. In other words, this devotion must be sincere. I think what he means here by praying at all times in the Spirit means primarily two things. One, that we have to pray with dependence upon the Holy Spirit. He, not in our own strength. He is our helper. He is the one who assists us. Romans 8.26 says this, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God, or literally according to God. To pray in the Spirit also, beloved, means to pray in accordance with His revealed will. Amen? We cannot be said to be praying at all times in the Spirit when we are not praying in accordance with His Holy Word. So, for example, if 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, And this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, then it follows that if you are asking things from God while living in unrepentant immorality, then you cannot be said to be praying in the Spirit. Amen? Because it is not in accordance with His Word. Because the Spirit will never lead us to pray, beloved, against God's revealed will. He will not. The Lord knows our hearts. We cannot fool Him. You cannot pray for a particular possession or a particular thing that you want in life or a particular person, some of you youth, that you want to be with and yet be practicing immorality. How will God answer that prayer? That is not a prayer in the Spirit. Amen? We are not praying in the Spirit if we are living in continual, unrepentant, unconfessed sin, beloved. Psalm 66, 18 says this, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And for us husbands, listen to this one. 1 Peter 3, 7, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And watch this. This one hurts me. So that your prayers will not be hindered. We cannot be said as husbands to be living, praying at all times in the Spirit, devoted to the Lord and to His Spirit, 
if we are bashing our wives at home, treating them unkindly. So to be praying in the Spirit at all times means that we are praying in accordance with His revealed will. Not allowing unholiness to to be a pattern in our lives, beloved. Unrepentant, unconfessed sin. You know what is a great way to ensure, for the most part, that you are going to be praying at all times in the Spirit? Memorize, meditate, and pray Scripture. That is a beautiful way, the best way to do it. Elder Jeff has led us in the last couple of, me- of elder meetings and prayer times into getting into the Word and praying the Word together. That's what it's all about right there. As elders, it is much easier to pray in the Spirit according to His will when we know what His Word says, right? So survey Paul's letters, Colossians and Ephesians, and see what he prays for there. Survey the Psalms, beloved. Open your devotion time in the mornings, praying the Psalms together. When you come together as a group, open up with the Psalm and pray the truths of that Psalm regarding who God is. See? And we can be praying in the Spirit in those moments. Beloved, we are called to be devoted to prayer as a community of believers because we are in a spiritual war. And I want to ask you this morning a sincere question. Are you spending time in devoted dependence upon the Lord with your brethren? Not just as an individual, but with other believers. I am sure you would admit that our devotion is so divided, right? My devotion is so divided. And I would encourage you, make a survey of how you spend your time, your resources, your energy, and you will see where your devotion lies. Some people are very devoted to sports. So guess what? Time and energy and resources are spent there. Is our sports evil in themselves? No, but we got to be careful that they don't become the idol, right? Above God. Some people are devoted to making money. Nothing wrong with making money and pursuing success in life, a good education, a good job, but that can very quickly become your idol and the object of your worship. Amen? Some people are devoted to careers, to humanitarian causes, to possessions, to their looks, to their physique. Listen, whatever the object of your devotion is, there will your time and your resources and your energy, beloved, and your affections lie. When you are devoted to something or someone else, you will then be driven to give your time and your energy and your resources to that one thing or person. So really the question becomes, are we delighting in God? Is He the object of our affection? Are we spending time with Him both personally and with the body of Christ, treasuring Him together in our prayers? See, that's the heart of the matter here, isn't it? The deeper question is, are you and I delighting in God, loving Him, cherishing Him, feasting upon His blessings that we do not deserve? Looking upon the pages of Scripture and seeing His attributes and His greatness and His majesty and His glory, beloved. Because if that's where you're at, then prayer, individually and corporately, will be far from a chore or an obligation. It will be a delight to spend time with God and with His people. Amen? If you are delighting in the Lord, you will be devoted to prayer, beloved, personally and corporately. You won't have to be kicked around or hit in the head to do it. Because you will want to do it. You will run in that direction. John Bunyan was a great example of devotion to God in prayer. And my brother Ed's Sunday evenings sessions that I have heard some of those has inspired me to go back and read John Bunyan all the more. And he defined prayer this way. Listen to this, quote, Prayer is a sincere sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised according to the word of God for the good of the church with submission and faith to the will of God. Isn't that beautiful? I like that. An affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ. That is devotion right there. That is devotion. Thirdly, when things get difficult and the storms come, beloved, in the life of our church, the God-dependent church will be relentless in prayer. Relentless in prayer. Look at verse 18. And with this in view, 
That is for this purpose or to this end of continual prayer is what he means. Be on the alert, be on the alert with all perseverance, he says. Be praying alertly and with all perseverance. Both of these words, alert and perseverance, put together have the sense of continually doing something with intense effort. Intensely devoting oneself to, keeping on, of persisting in something with an all-out effort is what Paul is getting at here. To be on the alert in prayer means to be awake, to be vigilant, to be watchful. You remember what our Lord in Matthew 26, 41 instructed his disciples to do on the night of his betrayal? He said, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus was telling there's impending conflict here. Don't fall asleep in the midst of what is about to happen. See, the Lord lived with an awareness of spiritual warfare and what was about to take place. And then he says, with all perseverance, be on the alert with all perseverance. Meaning, don't give up. Be persistent. Be relentless in prayer. Jesus illustrated this beautiful principle in Luke 18. And you don't have to turn there. But there, in Luke 18, Jesus said, or it says in Luke 18 that Jesus told a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. And he tells this parable about a certain judge in a city who it says, Luke tells us in his narrative, did not fear God or respect man. He was a wicked human judge. And a widow, a poor widow, keeps coming to this judge, asking relentlessly for the judge to give her legal protection from her opponents. And it says in Luke 18 that even though for a while he, this wicked judge, is unwilling, eventually the wicked judge, guess what? He gives her what she wants. Sick and tired of her relentless persistence, the wicked judge says to himself, even though I do not fear God, nor respect man, a shameless guy, right? He's even admitting how wicked of a guy he is. Even though I do not fear God, nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, otherwise by continually coming, she wear me out. <laughs> she got him. She got him. Why? Because of her persistence is Jesus' point. Not because he was such a great guy, a great faithful judge. Because she was persistent. And beloved, how persistent are we as a church? See, we give up too, way too easily, don't we? Way too easily. Because we want immediate results. We live in a fast-paced, mass-media, fast-results society, and we impose our time expectations upon Almighty God. We expect Him to respond in the way that, he, that we want Him to respond and when we want Him to respond. Otherwise, we give up, right? What Paul wants these Ephesians to do in the midst of spiritual warfare is to be persistent, relentless in prayer with all perseverance, see? And beloved, relentlessness in prayer pays off, does it not? It pays off. I often hear stories, amazing stories. One of our brothers here who's in Prokopin is an amazing story of constant prayer from the, the, the body here. And now he is worshiping amongst us. I haven't seen him this morning, but I'll call him out later on if he's not in here. <laughs> but the Lord saved him, answered our request. Not because we deserve it, but because he's good. But there was persistent prayer constantly being made for this brother. A while back, I heard of a, of, a, of, a, of a brother who for 20 years, he was a staunch atheist, persecuting his wife, abusing her verbally. And the church and the, and the wife kept praying for him and praying for him and praying for him. And would you believe that the Lord broke that man and saved him? He's now in a church in Texas serving the Lord very involved in mercy ministry. See, we need to be relentless in our pursuit of the Lord, do we not? Let's not give up, beloved. It comes down to trusting in Him, it does it not, and waiting upon Him. Psalm 27, 14 says this, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Relentlessness in prayer based upon a trust in the Lord, beloved, is what we need in our body. See, we need a persistent prayer in the midst of difficult times. Every church experiences them. Not just good times, but difficult times. But no matter what is taking place, beloved, we ought to be seeking the face of God because He's worthy to be sought no matter what. Amen? 
pursuing His face in moments of happiness and sadness, beloved, in moments of of abundance or scarcity, in moments of victory or defeat, because at the end of the day, He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy that we would continue to, to, to pursue Him and seek Him. Amen? Let's not be a circumstance-driven church, beloved. Let's be a church that's dependent upon the Lord in the midst of difficulties, being serious, devoted, and relentless in prayer. Finally, very quickly, the God-dependent church is selfless in prayer. Selfless in prayer. Notice verse 18. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance, and here it is, and petition for all the saints... And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul calls the Ephesians here to be committed to selfless praying that brings others, other saints to the throne of grace. Paul says, petition for all the saints. What do we naturally do? We are bent toward a preoccupation with self. Amen? And with our own problems, our own struggles, our own trials, our own needs, our own wants and our desires. And we quickly forget about other people, beloved. Quickly we can become so selfish in bringing others to the throne of grace. But Paul in this letter has spoken so much about the the unity that all believers have in Christ. That in Christ God has brought all of these believers, followers of Christ into one body, one entity, one physical structure, spiritual structure, one building And one family. We are one. One church. One body. We have one Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all. Who is over all and through all and in all. He has talked so much about that. Our oneness. So what does family do for one another? They lift one another up. Right? They pray for one another. It should not surprise us that Paul is saying here. Hey. Be characterized by selfless praying, bringing other saints to the throne of grace when he's spoken so much about the unity of the church of God. See, that's what he wants. I want to ask you this morning, how often do you pray with or for other believers in this body? Or for other fellow brothers and sisters in other countries? How often do you do that? See, we're instructed here to pray for all the saints corporately as a community of believers who are on the same battlefield, beloved. But not only that, Paul also says that we need to be committed to selfless praying that keeps the progress of the gospel in mind. And here's the bigger picture for us as a church. Notice that Paul asks for prayer on his behalf as well. He says, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. Now, very interesting here. Where is Paul right now when he writes this letter? He's imprisoned. He's in prison. He alludes to this in chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 13, when he talks about his tribulations. And here in chapter 6 and verse 20, he's possibly awaiting to go before Caesar. And what he does is that he does not ask for prayer for his health or for change of circumstances, or even for his release. He doesn't wallow in self-pity in the midst of his difficulties. What does he do? He asks for prayer that as he goes before Caesar, he might be bold with the proclamation of the gospel and not be a man-fearer. Would you believe that? Selfless praying that keeps the bigger picture of the progress of the gospel in mind. Paul says, so pray for me that I would be, I would speak as an ambassador, as a messenger from the king, and I would deliver the message accurately and clearly for the glory of God and not be a man-fearer, see? Amazing. How is it that Paul could ask for a prayer like that? It's because of his perspective, Right? His perspective was a Christ-exalting perspective. A perspective that transcended the physical, beloved, into the spiritual. In a passage on spiritual warfare, he's got his eyes set on eternity and the progress of the gospel, not in himself and his circumstances, his physical circumstances. See, for Paul, it was not about preserving his own life, but progressing Christ's message. It was not about his comfort or his happiness, beloved. It was about promoting the gospel. And in the same way, beloved, as a church, I would exhort us and encourage us this morning that we need to be committed to selfless praying for one another. 
We need to be committed to engaging one another in prayer and praying for spiritual growth and maturity of one another as believers in this body. Read the prayers of Paul again. Read our Lord's Prayer in John 17. What does he pray for? Unity and love and perseverance and protection for his disciples and for future followers of of his kingdom, right? Read the prayers of Paul. I love praying in Philippians 1, 9 through 11 for, for an abounding love for the saints of Calvary Bible Church, that we would abound in love and keep growing and reaching higher heights of love for one another, beloved. Be praying that way. We ought to be getting together, beloved, praying together that the gospel would advance in other people's lives, that people would come to know Christ, that there would be spiritual fruitfulness amongst us, a strengthening of our faith, that we would live sold out for the kingdom of God, that we would want to impact Burbank in Southern California for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be praying together as a church for that and then mobilizing to go do it in the power of the Spirit. We need to be about that, beloved. We must be praying corporately for the witness of Calvary and L.A. That God would send our church divine appointments, people that we could drop the bomb of the gospel to with compassion and love. Amen? That's what we need to be about. We must be praying corporately that God would allow this church to be a lighthouse in this community of Southern California, beloved. We are here, as Pastor Tim Carn said a little while ago, for a purpose. And if we believe in the sovereignty of God, if we believe in the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, then I believe that we are here strategically for a purpose, to reach the lost for Christ. Let's be praying to that end, beloved. Let's be praying that way. And we have some great opportunities to pray as a community of believers coming up. Some of these were announced earlier. The last Sunday of April, April 26th, there's an event called Stay and Pray, where lunch will be provided, followed by prayer. Let's be together for that. It will be strategic. There will be specific prayer requests, as I hear from some of the elders, that we're going to be bringing before the throne of grace together as a corporate body. Let's make that, that particular event an application of the sermon. Amen? There's no way for me to log who just said amen right now, but... The Lord knows, okay, if you're not there. Secondly, on Wednesday of Passion Week, this upcoming week, there's a prayer meeting from 7 to 8, focus on Resurrection Week. I have a, a leadership, an intense leadership training and discipleship uh, class that I teach on Wednesday nights with a group of, of men. We are going to spend time together for a little while, and then we're going to go join the prayer team together as men in that meeting. Because we recognize that, that if we're going to be men who proclaim that we need to be a God-dependent church, we need to lead the charge in that way. How about joining a small group where you can spend time with other believers, regularly spending time with one another, sharing requests, beloved? Some of you are involved in home discipleship groups. That's a great way to share requests and pray together as a group for the needs of our body. How about grabbing the, the, uh, the prayer sheet? which is available on Tuesday afternoons, grab that thing and make it a goal from here to the end of the year to work through those requests. If you don't make it a particular week, that's okay. Try to hit the target the following week. Be praying, engaging personally and corporately with other believers in prayer, beloved. Well, Kempis, I love what you're saying, but I'm so busy, so busy in my life that I can't really, I don't have a lot of more time to spend time in prayer alone or with the body of Christ. Well, let me ask you, are you any busier than our Lord Jesus was? Nobody, listen to me, nobody was more busy than our Lord Jesus Christ. If the eternal Son of God came to earth and was devoted to regular communion with His heavenly Father, how much more should we be devoted to prayer, beloved? How much more? Our Lord Jesus was the ultimate example of prayer and devotion. Ultimate example. Just listen to some of these texts, and you can just write them down. After a busy, busy day of activities in Luke chapter 4, his popularity is growing. He is healing multitudes. Many are being healed. Many are surrounding our Lord. It says in Luke chapter 4, 42, in the midst of that busyness, that when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. And the implication there is that he went to spend time alone with his father. What about when ministry gets busy? 
Campus ministry is busy. Come on. There's a lot going on at Calvary for you to be preaching prayer and showing up to prayer meetings and of such. Ministry is very busy. Well, what about our Lord? When multitudes were demanding his time in Luke chapter 5, verse 15 says this, that when the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Listen to this. In the midst of ministry getting busier, it says in Luke 5, 15 and 16, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Spending time in communion with his heavenly father when ministry got even busier, beloved. That's what he was doing. What about during times of critical decisions? What did he do? Did he start looking for his own resources, his own strength in himself, even though he is, he was the eternal, he is the eternal son of God? What did he do during critical ministry choices? In this case, the choosing of the 12 in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says this. It was at this time, in the time of the choosing of the 12, notice that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he named the apostles. Look at that. Spends a whole night in prayer before his heavenly father, communing with him, seeking Guidance. Amazing. Jesus was such an example that after watching the Lord Jesus' example of prayer, the disciples had to ask him to teach them to pray. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John the Baptist also taught his disciples to pray. And he taught them to pray. The Lord's Prayer. Amazing. Such an example. Who can forget about his upper room discourse, right? And his prayers for his disciples and for those who would believe in the future. He was the ultimate example of devotion to his heavenly father in prayer, beloved. I pray that we would follow our Lord's example personally and as a corporate body. That we would be a God-dependent church because we follow a God or we follow a God-dependent Savior. Who modeled that in his own life. Devotion to prayer. Let us be serious about prayer, beloved. Devoted to prayer, relentless in prayer, and selfless in prayer in the midst of spiritual war here on this earth until our King's returns. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, help us as a church to guard against self-dependence and self-sufficiency, Lord, which will lead to our undoing, Lord. Father, we cannot stand firm in this spiritual war without being much on our hands before you personally delighting in you and corporately delighting in you, Father, propelled to seek your glory in all these things, Lord. May we be prayer warriors and a God-dependent church, Father, who is serious about prayer, who is devoted to prayer, who is relentless in prayer, Father, and who is selfless in prayer until the King returns. In whose name we pray, amen.